0: All right, morning church. Good morning, good morning. Are we awake? Let's do this. Awesome. Daylight savings at its finest. We spiked the coffee a little bit uh, darker and thicker this morning, so hopefully that'll kick in here in a few moments. Uh, Hopefully, you got some good bagels uh, back there and some donuts, but we're glad that you're here and worshiping with us. I don't know what your week was like. I don't know if you had an incredible week or a bad week or a struggling week. I, I have no idea. I know for Sandy and I, uh, it's been quite an eventful week. On Wednesday, I severely hurt my ribs uh, playing basketball with younger the younger generation and have learned my lesson instead of going through a screen or a pick, I'm just going to politely stand aside, uh, especially when the, the human being is much larger than me. And then yesterday, Sandy got in a... a uh, a bumpity bumpity bump uh, car accident, uh, and she was the last one to be hit, and kind of jarred her back and neck, and uh, tore up our suburban, and so, uh, and and a bunch of other things. Alex outside ruptured his other eardrum so that his other one wouldn't feel jealous. So now both are ruptured uh, and continues to get sick and different things. So uh, I, I that's what we bring into this room. So I don't know what you bring, um, but we bring both highs and lows, good days, bad days. Maybe you had an argument on the way to church or or, or maybe you know, your kids didn't behave and were complaining like mine. Um, but the the great thing is... Uh, that God's here, and we get to dismiss them. Uh, and so both are are, are great things for, for all of us in this room. This morning, as we get ready for Easter, one of the things we're talking about is creating and, and being grounded in community. And in, over the next couple months, what we're going to be unveiling to you is an in-depth discipleship strategy on what is our strategy to create disciples of Jesus Christ. It's one thing to run church, do a bunch of fun programs. It's all great. But the reality is what we have been called, and our mission statement says, is take every single person and help equip you to take the next steps in becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus. What we want to do is unveil that to you in a deeper way. Uh, much through worship and groups and ministry and missions. But really the the central catalyst with all of those areas as we get ready to unpack that for you is rooted in, it's grounded in community, is with each other. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can open those up to Acts chapter 2 starting at verse 42. If you have our app, we have a, a Bible uh, program uh, embedded in that, or you can open up your iPad or your phone or a paper Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in front of you in, in those chairs. And we're going to be reading from Acts chapter two, starting at verse 42. It's also going to be on the screen if you want to just sit back and be lazy. All right, let's get started. Verse 42 And they, that is the new church, the believers in Christ, the church that is exploding in the first century, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe, I love that word, awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temples together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous, some versions will say sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. It's a beautiful picture. Maybe you're old enough to remember this, but years and years ago, there's an organization called Classmates.com. Anybody remember them? They still exist today, but they really exploded years and years ago. And Classmates.com did something very interesting. There were millions of people around the world that were sitting at their computers very innocently when an ad popped up. Through an email. This ad promised that there was a long lost friend, a classmate, if you would, that was looking to reconnect with you, to rekindle that friendship or that association. Now, it didn't give any idea on who it was, what school they were associated with, what grade it was. So you didn't know like if it was your old boyfriend or your old girlfriend or maybe that kid you picked on and and that kid wants retribution now, whatever it is. We didn't know. And so all of these millions of people received this ad from classmates.com. Now, to find out who it was that was reaching out to you, you couldn't just click on a link and then see that person's face like, oh, that, that's who wants to connect with me. Delete, which was, would be most of what we would do. In order to see who that person was, you had to uh, upgrade in classmates.com to the gold membership. Now, what was interesting about this is it wasn't just tens of people, or hundreds, or even thousands. Millions of people clicked on the link and upgraded to classmates.com gold standard version only to find out who it was that was reaching out to them that wanted to connect relationally with them. The intrigue, the curiosity was so strong that everyone upgraded. Some of you remember this time. What was interesting is when you upgraded, what you found was it wasn't a long-lost student who was trying to reach you. It was classmates.com. They were false in what they were offering. And in fact, one guy sued Classmates.com for false advertising for an incredible amount of money, and he won. But all of these people banked on what Classmates.com was banking on, and that is people's curiosity their need to belong their need to be in relationship their need for someone to be curious about you to be interested in you to want to reconnect with you let me help you with that if you get an email from someone from third grade who wants to reconnect with you just delete it it's not worth your time okay most of the time it's not worth your time it's only going to get you in trouble in one way or another. What was fascinating about classmates.com is they were tapping in to how we as human beings are wired. Whether we believe in God, whether we worship God, whether we even acknowledge that there's a God who exists, we are wired for relationship. We are wired for belonging. We're we're wired for friendship. God created us for relationship. Now, back in the garden, that is in the book of Genesis, if you're new to the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, uh, God looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for you to be alone. And we look at that and there's some really fun memes out there on 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 women and men and that relationship and who needs who and who wouldn't exist without the other. Let me just clear that up. Men would not exist without women. I don't even know why that's an argument, but that's absolutely the truth. Uh, God created men and women for a deep need for relationship, but not just one-on-one relationship. It's a relationship with our God, with our Lord, uh, through the cross that that we have been reconciled to him. But it goes much farther than that. It goes to one another. When, When God calls Abram out of Ur in Genesis chapter 12, he wasn't calling a person, he was calling a people group. That is Israel from one place to another. And after Pentecost... We see in our passage in Acts chapter 2, God's forming a new people. It went from Israel, and now he's forming a new people. Something I said? Okay, good. Thanks for that affirmation. So God forms a new people, and this is what's awesome about it. He forms the church. He forms what you and I are a part of, what we experience here and now. The relationship, the coffee, the bagel, the singing, the worshiping, the prayers, the the little kids being taught, the sermon, what is birthed is this church, a community of believers joined together by a common faith in Jesus Christ. The church from its inception has always been and will always will be More than just a one hour gathering in a given week. It will always be rooted in community. And that's what I love about this picture that Acts describes. This picture that Acts gives us is a window into what community life looked like the first few days of the church. They were living life together. They were devoted to God and each other. They were meeting together every day, opening up God's word. They were praying fervently. They were breaking bread together. That is both the sacrament and enjoying meals, which I love that kind of church if we're going to enjoy meals. They shared everything in common. They sold their belongings and they gave to everybody who was in need. God was regularly doing signs and wonders all throughout their midst, and hundreds of people are being saved every day and being added to the church, being added to the community of God. Now, that's an inspiring picture of community life. That that is a That is a description that we tend to sit back and go, wow, that sounds amazing. I want to be a part of a community like that. But this picture can also be a little discouraging. So let's be honest with ourselves. When we overlay this dynamic, on fire, all in community of life over the community life that we tend to experience in given churches, at least in North America today even the best of the churches fall short when we compare ourselves in step with the early church in fact i would suggest any church that, that uses acts chapter 2 to 100% describe their church community should also be sued for false advertising because it's just not true there are, there are holes in our community. There are holes in our faith. I recently read a sign on the internet and I tried to find a picture of it, but I couldn't. Uh, I read this article and it described this church. You guys like uh, seeing some of these church signs that people um, put out uh, to get people's attention. Some of them are absolutely hysterical and sometimes people are funny without trying to be. And this one said, we really care about our community. Sundays at 11 a.m. only. And, and it, it was it tended to be like, we only have worship at Sundays at 11. Like We don't have any other worship services. But the way that it was phrased is literally, we care so much about community only on this hour on Sundays. The rest of it, we could care less about community. And the reality is, if we're honest, for a lot of our churches, underneath that there's some truth about this, is that we only genuinely care about community, about the things of God when we enter into this room or are on this church campus or when we choose to get together. Our hearts are pulled when we're together on certain topics. But when we're alone, when we're at our houses, when we're at our job, when we're in our car, we couldn't be farther away from the things of God. And sometimes we make that mistake of of talking about community. There are probably some people here, and there are probably some online, and, and certainly at other churches where going to church is one of the most lonely things that a person does. We're committed to combating that. They say that one of the loneliest places to ever be is in a crowd, not a community. And I wonder sometimes, does, does the church, does Rock Creek Church feel like a community or does it feel like a crowd? And that's something that every church that's growing in depth and in numbers has to wrestle with. Uh, last year, I was speaking at a men's retreat of a couple hundred people in, just outside of Portland. And I finished speaking, and as a speaker, uh, it gives a false sense of community, right? Because you're all looking at me right now. So I feel like, oh, man, I've got like a friend in you. And yet, uh, after a particular session ended, we all went out uh, to, the, to the patio area that overlooks the lake. Beautiful. And as I walked out, I was one of the last ones to walk out, I saw just dozens of pockets of groups of people talking. And I tend to be extrovertedness uh, the majority of the time, but I have some deep seated uh, introvertedness in me as well. And I walked out and I saw all these groups hanging out, talking, fellowshipping with each other, and nobody came and talked to me. And they would see me and nod and then turn back to their groups. And so I must admit to you, I felt lonely, I felt lost. I didn't feel, I'm mature enough to know that, that people cared about me, but I felt alone. And you see, the important thing for us to realize is as we create, and when I say we, I mean the kingdom of God here on earth. Is there an aspect of this that is, that is relegated and in the attention to Rock Creek Church? 100%. But it is much, much bigger than this. This is the kingdom of God here on earth. And the thing that we have to realize is that community in the kingdom of God, it's a journey, not a destination. The destination will be when Jesus comes back again. When Jesus comes and does what he says, I have gone to prepare a place for you. And when I come, I will take you to be with me there also. Then community will be a destination. But for you and I, for the follower of Christ, or for at least the person who's investigating Jesus Christ, community is a journey. And so if we get back to Acts Chapter 2, the question is, is the picture in these verses an accurate picture of God's plan for the community of the church, the plan for us here? And if so, how do we bridge the gap from what the original church birth, a few days old, experienced compared to what you and I experience in our daily experience of church? How do we make that right We might be tempted. You might have even said this or you've heard others describe it in this way. Well, that was real community. That was when the church was really the church. We've gotten so far away. We're we're not even real. We're hypocrites. And that's why people don't love the church. Man, if we could just go back to the church in the early acts, then everything would be perfect. And I think... There's more to it than that. I want to suggest to you this morning that the picture of Acts chapter 2 is absolutely accurate. But it's incomplete. It's incomplete in the six verses that we read that tell us about the early church. And here's why. This stage, Acts chapter 2, is what theologians will often refer to as the honeymoon stage of the church the honeymoon stage of the church the 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 holy spirit's power has fallen on the church it's visible to the degree that small groups of believers are beginning to speak in tongue or, or a foreign language. There's healing being done all throughout, everywhere we look. There are miracles everywhere we look. Hundreds of people are coming to know the Lord. Every time that the gospel is presented, boom, people give their life to Jesus. If, uh, if a sermon goes a little bit long and there's one of the apostles preaching and people are starting to nod off, they just perform a miracle and everyone's attention is caught back up. Crazy things are happening in the church and it's a powerful picture and it's an accurate picture, but it's not a complete picture. This is this sublime, if you would, picture of community. It would be like looking at a couple's honeymoon pictures and going, oh, that's what marriage is. Or when you're engaged, is Sam, Sam, Sam's outside so Sam is engaged. He's, him and Marissa are going to be married in June. Wes is married. He'll be married someday. Yes. He hasn't given me a date. Um, so, but this, like, dating, we're engaged, gaga, arms draped and legs draped around each other as you watch, like, a commercial. Like, all this, like, sappy love. We could tend to look at that and go, oh, that's what marriage is? Oh, I can't wait to be married. Well, if you think that, you're in for a rude awakening. Whoa, whoa, my ribs are sore. I have a funny feeling I will not be the only one with sore ribs by the end of the morning. We will pray for you after the service, Robert. <laughs> you want to know something that's that's sad, frustrating, but it's real? Things in that New Testament church are going to change. Believers will eventually stop selling their homes and pooling all their money to take care of each other. They won't stop caring for each other's needs, but they will Cease to participate in the practice of having everything in common. Problems will begin to creep into the church backbiting, arguments, tension. The rapid growth of the church we will soon see in the New Testament will cause people like the Hellenistic widows to be overlooked. The least of these will eventually not be cared for, but avoided. Good people like Eodia and Sintiki will squabble to the point where Paul has to write to the church and say, will you please help these two figure this out? Other communities like the church in Corinth are messed up in so many different ways, you don't even know where to start to fix it. And there will even be churches like the church in Galatia Churches that are in danger of literally running right off the tracks from Christian, Christ-centered orthodoxy to heresy. And why? Why does something so unbelievably beautiful and perfect, the perfect structure of community centered around Christ, begin to crack? and begin to fall away. And I'd love for you to participate in this with me in order to get our answer. Why does that happen? I want you to first look to the left. Go ahead. Look to the left. And now look to the right. You probably saw people And we want to know, why is it that the church can't get back to that? Why can't the kingdom of God here on earth get back to Eden? Why can't we get to some of these, what would be deemed picture-perfect settings for God's community to be together? And it could really be boiled down into two words, sin and humanity. Humanity. We are involved. We are involved in the church. You and I in this room, and it was the same for the nine o'clock service, we bring all of our junk into this room. Even if we want to smile and look the part, we still bring it in here. We bring our abuses. We bring our molestation. We bring our rape. We bring our lies. We bring the stealings. We, we, we bring uh, bad things being done to us. People stabbing us in the back. Growing up with bad parents. Alcoholism. Drug addiction. And we could go on and on and on and on. That is embedded somehow in our stories. And guess what? We walk in those doors. We walk through those four doors. We sit down. And now we're all together with our junk. And somehow... We have this pressure to be the perfect community. To be the beautiful picture of community. To not have heartache or strife or pain or struggle. When, friends, the reality is, that's just not true. It's like if you, when when you choose to, if, if you're bold enough, Uh, this Easter to get all of your family together. That's super fun. Maybe some of it's fun. Some of it's just not fun. Can we acknowledge that? We all have like an Uncle Albert or Grandma Ethel or you. (laughs) Maybe you're that person. Sorry. Sorry. But when you get the family together, you don't say, hey, we're having a family gathering, cool people only, normal people only, those that don't twitch in the corner, stay at home. Like, and yet community in the church, we're those people. And sometimes we want to avoid it. But all of these things, all of these people, you and I, is not going to, has not, will not ever stop what God does in and through a community who is seeking to be further followers of Jesus Christ. He still does his work but here's what's important about community. It cannot be built on excitement. It cannot be built on emotion. It cannot be built on the warm fuzzies. It cannot be built on mountaintop retreat experiences. It's built on the day to day minutia and crud that we have in common. And yet we're trying to keep our eyes on Christ moving forward. Why? So that you don't have to do this alone. So that we can look at each other and go, man, we're in this together. And as Rock Creek Church, we are not going to build this church on miracles and emotions and super warm fuzzies and hot chocolate. It needs to be built on a commitment to community. And you're going to see that in coming weeks. But here's the, the one main point for today, is that the kingdom on earth The kingdom of God here in our midst must be built and committed to community. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Romans 12, verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourself." serve another one. Put someone else's needs, their desires, their cares, their hurts, their joys, their pains above yourself. If you want to know how to live this life of Christ in the midst of your world, in the midst of the culture of your circle, when you leave here today, go and live out the second portion of Romans 12.10. Honor one another above yourself. Live selfless. Not in a grudgingly, tongue-in-cheek, but a genuine look to put others first. When we we think of devotion, uh, sometimes we might tend to think of like the sappy loveness uh, that comes when you first start dating someone and you just think about them all day long and and you just have that kind of sappy love. If my sisters were here, they would sing hopelessly devoted to you. Do any of you know that song? Come on up. We're gonna do. We're gonna sing. I'm just kidding. Uh, if my si- so, I grew up with an older sister and a younger sister, and my mom. My dad worked a lot, and so I was stuck with a lot of singing on every song. So uh, much to my chagrin, I can hear a song and I can revert it back to my sisters who grew up singing, and I can still remember them singing hopelessly. Devoted to you. But here's what's interesting. There's a Greek word that actually describes something a little bit more gritty, a little bit more uh, uh, tough. You know, you've got Sandra D in Greece singing. Isn't she the one who sings hopelessly yes. devoted? And then you've, I, I think, who? Sandy. Olivia Newton, John. Okay, awesome. And then but I, I think of this word a little bit more gritty, like a, a, like a Rambo Fred Flintstone, uh, the rock sort of guy. But this Greek work, this Greek word describes this. It's messy, it's dirty, it's hard, it's a struggle, and it means to persist in and to continue steadfastly in. To be devoted is to be committed. And God calls us to be a committed community. He doesn't just call us to be a community. He also doesn't call us just to be committed. He calls us to be a committed community that together is pursuing the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it takes commitment for the long haul to really experience community this makes perfect sense. Have you ever, maybe you've been the subject of this or you've seen someone, you ever meet someone and they've got unbelievably high expectations and a low threshold for disappointment or conflict? You ever met someone like that? What happens with them? They get super, super excited because of, quote, this relationship or this church, like they are in. They meet you once and they're like, should we pick out colors for our house? Maybe, like, maybe we should go look at rings. I might want to marry you someday. And immediately, girls, at least in this room, if you meet a guy like that who's ready to marry you after the first day, just kick him between the legs and run as fast as you can away from that psychopath. Okay, But sometimes we can have those high expectations of, I think I love you. I think I'm calling the police. <laughs> but people will do that even for the church. We, people will walk in, visit a church, our church, maybe some other church and go, man, I love this. I'm in. And at the first moment of conflict or struggle or cloudy days or hardship, PTSD kicks in and they go, see, I knew it. I knew that church was going to be the same church. I knew that Christian was going to be the same as all Christians. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And the reality is community, relationships, commitment, it takes time. And it actually takes some disappointment to know if you really are committed. This word devotion, devotion to persist in, to continue steadfastly, to push into, tells of a community that doesn't come quickly and it doesn't come easily. We live in a funny time with Facebook and Instagram. It's easier than ever to have the illusion of community and intimacy when when we have hundreds, if not thousands, thousands of followers and likes within our social realm. People that we think we're letting them in close and personal into our world because of our, our recent haircut or what we had for dinner or what we're doing on vacation that, that we've created community. It's interesting. There's a couple of studies that are going on right now. One of the most dangerous ones that are happening is they're doing a a recent study, started last year, and they're studying the depression levels of teenagers that are realizing that through social media doesn't create the community, if you would, what they thought it was going to create. It's it's dangerous. They're also doing uh, another study that's right up there with it, kind of parallel in the concern is they're doing studies that rather than just doing posts, they're realizing that the younger generation, this is younger than high school, this is junior high and elementary, are becoming addicted to their social media accounts only to see how many likes and followers. So they're not addicted to the friendships. They're not addicted to the pictures. They're addicted to going, how many people are enjoying what I've done? I do something. How many people have given me a response? I've done something outlandish. How many people are responding? Sensationalized, bigger, better, stronger, faster, more crazy. And without getting too political or... Or, or, or weaving into culture, I, I think when we talk about uh, school safety and such, they should probably spend some equal amount of time looking at the sociological behaviors of longing to be belonging, of, of the relationship, of, of wanting people to recognize what I do and how that's falling empty in the majority of ways of how we're giving our, our younger generation today. That's another sermon, but the reality is people who look at some of our social media aren't seeing the whole picture. And trust me, I'm not downing Instagram or Facebook. I love both. I love both personally. I love them both for the church. It has helped me connect with ministry leaders all over this world in some amazing ways. It has helped me stay connected to friends and associates and family members. I'm not downing people that, that do that in any way, shape, or form. But here is how it relates. The love of the Lord calls us to more than a click. The love of the Lord calls us to more than a warm smile. Sometimes the the old man who welcomes you at Walmart gets more interaction than some people who walk into a church. Sometimes the barista who's making your coffee gets more of an in-depth conversation and you pour out your heart than your so-called friends in faith. But here is, again, the reality. Community doesn't come easily, and it doesn't come quickly. True community. Associates do. Associations come very quickly and very easily. But true community, community that, that the Lord is describing, it doesn't come easily, and it doesn't come quickly. And the question is, what meaningful relationship does? whether it's romantic or relational, just from a friendly standpoint, what meaningful relationship comes instantaneously? And one thing that I believe that the Lord wants us free from is this mindset of, do I need or want community or not? Because it's all focused on what you need. It's all focused on what I need. How does this benefit me? At the Hayes house, here's a picture of us finishing up dinner, and we're playing poker um, with pennies and nickels, and uh, we love family dinners, uh, and, and let me help you before you think we're too holy. We have absolutely no in-depth conversations around this table. It usually is some kind of bodily fluid conversation <laughs> or injury uh, or a Pokemon battle or or. You know, if a shark were to eat you, what would you be able to survive that? Like that's the depth of our conversations. And sometimes I sit there and I watch and I listen and I just think we we need to be analyzed by specialists on, on some of our conversations. But that's us. It's some of our greatest times. But here's what's interesting: it's not about this dinner that creates community in our home. It's about hundreds of dinners that create community year after year after year. Because I guarantee you, some of the meals end with one, if not two, people in tears or an argument or a discipline or food somewhere other than a plate. So community, if you you relegate it to just one meal, you go, that is subject to social services being called. But if you look at our meals over the course of a year or multiple years, and you were to watch those videos, and they would some would be very entertaining, you would go, wow, they're really finding community. And the church is the same way. Year after year after year, gathering together where community is built. Not perfect, not fancy, not entertaining, maybe not many signs and wonders all the time, maybe not crazy warm feelings but community. There's a a Dutch Catholic priest. He was a a writer, a theologian. He was born in 1932. He died in 1996. I had the privilege of of listening and and watching him uh, speak several times at Westmont College in California at their chapel. His name's Henry Nouwen. If you're looking for a a new author uh, of books that talk about some spiritual depth. He is by far one of my favorites. He wrote this regarding community. He said, people who have known the joy of God point each other to flashes of light here and there. And they remind each other that they reveal the hidden but real presence of God. They discover that there are people who heal each other's wounds, forgive each other's offenses, share each other's possessions, foster the spirit of community, celebrate the gifts they have received, and live in constant anticipation of the full manifestation of God's glory. Man, he is... His writings are incredible. To see him in person was one of the greatest joys because he just has a soft, wise delivery. You see, God desires for us to be in growing, healthy, and sustaining community. And it begins by a loving, healthy, sustaining relationship with Jesus Christ who just literally gave it all. Everything. And we're going to get into the the weeds and the details as we head into our Easter service next week. But it really comes down to this. Love God and love others. Sometimes we can overcomplicate it. Love God, love others. Love your God with everything in your being. Love Him and do well loving others. Love other people. Listen well to other people. So the question becomes, well, how can you commit to both of these areas? How can you do this really, really well? I want you to know that there's a place for you here. There's a place for you here at this church. There's a place for you here in the kingdom of God, whether you attend this church or somewhere else. There is a place for you. God has your name stamped on it, and it's a response. But you need to know you make a difference. When you love, when you listen, when you care for, when you embrace others, you make a difference, and you grow the community. Of God, here on Earth. What an unbelievable responsibility, but what an unbelievable honor at the same time to do that and keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. So we're going to pray, uh, we're going to worship, and uh, and we're going to do it as a community together. So let's pray together. God, we love you. grateful for all that you've done for us and all that you have in store. Thank you that we have so much more in common than than what it might look like at first glance, and yet all we have to do is begin digging a tiny bit under the surface, and we realize, boy, we're all in this together. We We all have the joys and the struggles and the conflicts and the wrestlings. Sometimes a heart that's filled with joy that wants to shout from the rooftops that you are Lord and other times where we want to shake our fist at you and ask why. And yet we do all things in community. We do all things together. We serve together. We worship together. We're in groups together. We go on the mission field together. We, we do this together. And we want to submit that to you. We want to ask that you would generate worship in our hearts to come out in song. That you would take us to a depth that we could never ask for nor ever imagine because it's too far. It's too deep. Would you take us to that place together? In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?